this week on the Backtable Podcast. We have three items that really help us identify quality matches. And so this is helping the candidate find the job and the employer find the best job, the best candidate for that job. And so what we do is we do something called a stat score. And so the stat score looks at certain criteria, the location, you know, is we give our users five options to put in a location and we're helped search. And if it falls within those five locations, they're going to rank higher on that score. Do they want call? Do they want weekends? A lot of certain specifics that's maybe overlooked in, in an other sort of means. And so our stat score really helps us identify is the fit there, is the culture there um, that we're looking for, for both sides. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. First, a brief message from our sponsor. A decade ago, Rapid AI harnessed AI to revolutionize stroke care. Now they are bringing that same innovation to aneurysm and pulmonary embolism. This AI-powered, clinically-driven workforce platform enables care teams to accelerate triage and treatment decisions and improve operational efficiency to achieve better patient outcomes. Rapid AI, where AI meets patient care. I started taking AG1 because my brother-in-law has been using it for the past year and has been swearing that it's been helping him with his workouts. So I said, I <laughs> have to give this a try. Um, and uh, when I started it, I, I was pleasantly surprised. The first thing I thought, anything green I see is going to be bad tasting, but I honestly enjoy the taste. Uh, it's easy to make. I make a glass in the morning before going to work. It takes me about five seconds to do. And I've been using it for the past month and a half, and I've been feeling great so far. I like it because for me, I, I have three kids and I work all the time and I have a lot of hard call weekends. And, and to me, you know, maybe this is, you know, partially mental, but I, I see what's in the, you know, you, you look at the back of it, you see what's in this. And I like to feel like it's replenishing what the rest of my life is taking away. Totally. <laughs> totally. And I, I'm in LA, right? So this is totally lifestyle friendly. I've got people who are paleo, <laughs> keto, I don't know, Vito, Tito, whatever. This is everything. And um, it, it goes, there's only there's less than one gram of sugar. So, you know, even my wife, my my sister will try it who are like crazy about diets and it doesn't violate anything. So you're getting something healthy. It's making you feel better. I mean, you know, do you have to be an athlete to be to do this? No. I mean, what do you think, Parata? No, I'm living proof. You don't have to be an athlete to take these greens. Uh, <laughs> I, like I said, it's this for me, it's it's academic greens. And uh, you also get a vitamin D supplement, which is important for people like me who work in departments that don't have any windows. Yeah, the basement, basically. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's where I, I don't even know if it's raining or sunny outside. <laughs> but, um, I've been using, you know, I've been using the vitamin D supplement it comes as a dropper. And I just put the drop in my, my Athletic Greens shake, actually. But you can put it in whatever you want, apparently. Wait, you're not supposed to use that as an eyedropper? <laughs> no wonder your eyes are green. That's now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys, Don't you take got, it as an eyedropper, you know, folks. They, they yeah, think you have icterus or jaundice, dude. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com/backtablevi. Uh, again, that's athleticgreens.com/backtablevi 
to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. That's why they're going to rename the segment Beans Greens. <laughs> my this this athletic greens definitely has helped you, Brad. So it is. It's, it's, <laughs> the jokes just get funnier. The jokes are even better. Um, hey, look, and I have AG One to thank for this. Now back to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Back Table Podcast. Today we have a very special episode on helping docs and healthcare workers find the right job. We've covered this topic in a couple different ways, including on prior episodes. 110 and episode 201, where we talked about when the first job is not the right fit. We also talked about good jobs versus bad jobs. But today I'm honored to have physician entrepreneurs, Dr. Rockford Atkins and Dr. Casey Atkins on the show to tell us about their startup, uh, which is Stat Careers, statcareers.com. So welcome guys. Thanks for coming on the show. Yes. Hello everyone. Thanks for having us here, Aaron. Yeah, we're super excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, let's start with some intros. So Rockford, uh, Rock, sorry if I call you Rock. Yeah, yeah, I go by Rock most of the time. Cool. Rock is a, a fellow interventional radiologist and Casey is a Mohs surgeon, correct? Casey, mm-hmm. am I right? Correct. And you guys, did you meet in meds? Just tell us how you guys met and like your kind of, uh, you know, med careers thus far. Sure. So we met in a, a steamy hospital romance as interns <laughs> yes. in and uh, nice. ever since that has been our journey. And so uh, I'll start with a little about myself here. So I'm a diagnostic interventional radiologist in the Midwest and I did most of my training throughout Ohio, uh, popped out to Baltimore and did my interventional radiology fellowship at Hopkins and uh, ended up here in Cincinnati and been here for six years now in private practice. Yeah. And so I completed my dermatology residency throughout Ohio um, in 2015. And then I worked in private practice, an employed hospital system, and an HMO. Um, and then in 2020, I quit my job and I went back and completed a Mohs fellowship at the Cleveland Clinic. And I have been in private practice for the last year as a Mohs surgeon. Cool. And Casey, so you, so you were just doing general dermatology? I was, up until yeah. You, yeah. Okay. How was that going back? Because you practiced for what, three or four years before you went back? And yeah, I was in practice for four years. How was it going back and doing you know, training. I mean, it's what, is it a year, the fellowship? It was one year, but I'll be honest, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, yeah. You know, Rock <laughs> stayed behind in Cincinnati and I took the three kids to Cleveland and wow. I did not have children <laughs> when I was um, in med school. I had our first child at the end of my third year of dermatology. So that, you know, the last year, and I give people so much respect now, like who had kids in med school and in residency. Rock and I say that all the time. Like, how did they, yeah, do, it? they do it? So um, I was also a little bit older. So, you know, I, more fatigue, I think. And then having three kids and not having a spouse there. It was definitely uh, the hardest thing I've done. Yeah, that sounds like a huge feat. And and we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, job satisfaction in a minute. But what was it that you... Um, were you always planning on eventually doing a fellowship or were you just like not happy with the way your general Durham practice was going? It was like, you know what? I really want to, you know, do something different. Like, can you tell us a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, I, I think, you know, I did want to do a Mohs fellowship and I lost my father in residency and I could just kind of like changed my perspective on stuff and wanted to get my life going. And we had just got married and I said, let's start a family. We're running out of time. Um, yeah. And then Rock was applying for IR and it didn't make sense for us to do these two competitive specialties for fellowship with a baby and potentially be apart. So, yeah. um, 
you know, I went with him to Baltimore, had the baby and and then came to Cincinnati and we just started working and I was not happy. And it was a really, really hard decision, but I was really unhappy in my career and I couldn't believe that I came this far and had gone through all of this and it was not satisfying at all. Yeah, that's, um, you know, Gopi and I had a kind of a similar thing because, you know, I, I was uh, just with staggering fellowship, right? Intermediate radiology and ENT, very similar. And so we decided to stagger our fellowships because we knew from even matching, uh, you know, from med students into residency, it was so hard to to get into like, you know, the, the program that you really want to get into, right? So we exactly. wanted to kind of be fair to each other and say, all right, you do you do your fellowship first, and then I'll, and that's what Gopi did. She just worked for a year doing locums while I did my fellowship, and then she got into the program she wanted, and that's kind of how we ended up in Dallas. But can, just speaking from experience, I know how that tough that is, and those decisions, yeah. and then throw kids into the picture, and it gets really stressful. It was. It was certainly stressful, and I didn't, I didn't understand or appreciate that once you start having your family, if you want your children to be close in age, the time just passes really quick. And so, you know, in the middle of his fellowship, we decided to have our second kid because um, I didn't, I wanted three or four and I didn't want them to be too far apart. And so yeah. you always think, or at least I did, you know, at what point in life should I have my kid? But really you also have to start, like once you start your family, if you want them close or you want a lot and you kind of have to just keep going. Yeah. So that's yeah. just more stress and less time for your career. Right. Right, and then so for the record, we have three kids. We had them in four yeah. years. Yeah, so we have we have a, a seven, five, and a three year old now currently. Yeah, that's that's busy. That's super busy. B busy times. Yes. Yeah. So let's the, so kind of let's talk about you guys have bu busy careers, busy family, but yet you have this passion for um, you know you 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 had this idea to start to to do a startup, stack careers. Tell us how that came about. Yeah. So, um, I'll go all the way back and rewind to being in residency. And I think I was really intrigued in residency when we, we did a career day. And so we bought, we brought the, um, residents that had graduated the years prior back and we talked to them and said, essentially, what, what are you doing? Can you be transparent with this? Like what's your salary? Like what, what does your job look like? And it was just really intriguing to see the variability there. Um, and so, I remember we had one individual come in and say they were making 150K in an academic practice working two or three days a week in California. And the next guy would walk in and say, hey, I'm going to make seven figures and I'm in a high volume private practice in the middle of, you know, the Dakotas. And it's, it's like, wow, you know, we've all had a similar path, yet then we diverge at a certain point. And so I can say like early on, I was really intrigued by how these jobs come about and the variability involved. And so um, I think the real first inception of Stat Careers was probably when you had your first job. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, that's his kind of pain point, um, which I share. But another huge pain point for me was just the fact that we finished residency. He was going to Baltimore and I needed to find a job and I could not find a job. Right. I just started Googling, started looking at the American Academy of Dermatology, uh, friends, family mentors, cold calling offices. And I was really kind of frustrated and, and almost sad that, you know, I had spent all this time and money in my life and thought I was going to have this great glamorous job and I couldn't even find one. And we talk about this a lot and we joke and I'll say, 
you know, you can yet you can go on an app and you can find the partner that you're looking for for that night within a 10 mile radius who's a certain height, a certain weight, certain eye color, has certain hobbies. But yet I can't find a job. Right. After I just spent, you know, my entire 20s training and I'm highly skilled. So that was kind of a really big pain point. And then like Rock's alluding to when I did find my job, a certain percentage of my first year salary was taken away to the recruiter that I used. And it left me very limited negotiating power. And because I didn't lie and say we were there long term, I was very upfront. I, you know, I thought that was the right thing to do. Like, hey, I'm only here for a year with my husband during this fellowship. Well, then, you know, they can't make the money back off of you. And I had very little wiggle room because part of that salary was going to the recruiter, which, you know, I had no idea that I was basically paying the recruiter out of my first year salary. Yeah, it's, it's really eye opening. And so that launched us into looking into the industry to see. And so uh, just for full transparency, that that individual was asking $30,000 to place her into a job. Um, and so that was for a simple introduction, you know, online. And it really blew our minds to say like, wow, does this, is this how things are? Is this really how it happens? And the, the more right. research we do, that's, that's the norm. I mean, you pay 20 to 30 grand if you use a third-party recruiter or an agency for that, um, most of the time to, to find a job. And it comes out of somewhere, right? It's not like that, that money is just magically appears. So it either comes out of your signing bonus sometimes or your salary or it stresses the health system. And so I also had an experience when I was first looking for a job. It was an OBL type setup. And I remember talking to the individual and said, hey, you know, what's going on? Is there, is there a signing bonus? Can you tell me some stipulations here? And he looked right at the practice manager and said, did he come with a recruiter? No. Okay. Yes. We'll give you a signing bonus. And so that, that was our first sort of like key that, hey, this something isn't right here. And that might be, they might be getting way overpaid for that. And on top of that, um, a lot of them come to find, and this is nothing against third-party recruiters, but they present the candidate with the least amount of risk, right? Because they have an underlying bias to have you signed. And so they may have a great candidate, but that candidate may not want to work in that area. So they're less likely to sign. Yet they're going to present the people that are of, of lowest risk and they want you to sign so they get that you know money in that contract closed. Huh. That's wild. I always thought that these recruiters were getting paid by the groups or the hospitals that that you you know get the job at. I well, thought that was what drove that was the, their business model, but I didn't realize docs were having to pay. No, so well, they are paying you, but that it's coming out of your salary indirectly. Yeah, so right. it's not like yeah. we are paying. Yeah, I mean, the that money has to come. Yeah. That money's coming from somewhere. Yeah. Okay. I I see. So they're just, re- but it's not. Is it ongoing throughout the year, or is it a one-time fee that they get paid? Like when you sign on, it's a, I believe yeah, it's, a it's typically fee. like a certain amount up front to begin a search, and then a certain amount to close the deal. And it is paid by the institutions just to clarify that, but it, it indirectly can can harm you, unfortunately. And and if you're not because aware, because they're just going to pay you a lesser salary, basically, like it's or not it, have a signing bonus, or yeah, it's coming from right, somewhere, right? It. And it's usually yeah. going to be out of somewhere that you're going to make money somehow. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so to go That's back wild. to to the search um, on my part, I'm a, I'm a bit OCD. I will admit that. And so I remember like I had so many. Uh, different accounts signed up on different fragmented websites and I was running job alerts and emails and I really wanted to know, you know, we put in all this time and energy into becoming a physician, 13, 14 years training. 
Like, I want to know what the best job is out there. And so I had to do a, quite a bit of, of legwork on my part to find out, you know, what is the best job. And it became like a second job on my part. Um, I re remember, you know, submitting my CV to random job Jo or job sites and never having a response and not knowing where that sensitive information went. And I remember multiple times I traveled to a job and, and this is becoming less so, but in the past, it was very taboo to ask, you know, certain stipulations that really uh, were important to your job. Like how much will I be paid? Like what's the, st the setup, the structure? Am I going to be, you know, a partner or is this going to be, you know, uh, 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 RVU based or, or how will this be set up? And so you had to essentially throw your suit on, fly out, spend your time away from your family and do a lot of, of legwork to find out that maybe this job doesn't even align with close to what you're thinking. And so uh, we just thought there was a much better way to do this, um, especially yeah. with the advances that we have in technology. Yeah. So when you guys came up with this idea like, hey, we need to, you know, these are our pain points. We feel like our colleagues are experiencing these pain points. Like, where did you go from there? Like you you're like, okay, this, there's a business here. What was your next step? The next step was to go to the other clientele as the, the hiring managers. And so, um, the good thing about training and being a medicine is you're in a lot of facilities. And so you have access to a lot of the hiring managers, uh, and yeah. seed levels even. And so we started talking with them and, and essentially laying out our issues and they had many issues on their side as well. And we realized that, Hey, kind of the light bulb went off and said, this is a problem that we can solve on both sides with one platform. And so with them, they had a lot of vacancies, uh, a lot of turnover, uh, retention was very low. Um, and despite that, they were spending tons of money. Um, I mean, we have like a case example of one of the, the clinics that one of us worked for had spent 200 grand that they blew through uh, on recruitment um, for just a small department in a small community hospital in a year. And on top of that, they were issuing salary cuts to everyone from that. And so the, I think the take home point is that when, when there's waste in, in medicine, in the process and business of that, it falls in, on everyone, right? It harms us and yeah. the organizations as well too. So we saw this as a all-inclusive problem that we wanted to fix on both sides. And that was another pain point, right? So the system was... Yeah, you know, about $200,000 down. And so um, something that in a million years I never thought of, I've never seen on any blog. And I certainly, you know, my contract attorney did not mention it. But um, knowing your conversion factor for your RVU right. is important. But what's more important is knowing that your organization cannot change that conversion factor more than X percent per year. Because there's nothing in there that says that they can't drop it, you know, eight points. Uh, which is a significant right. amount of money, right? So, you know, where I worked, the we were told we had three months and they were going to drop it about 20%. Yeah, they just basically wow. said that, sorry, we we mismanaged the department. Um, here's your new rate. And and that staff wow. turnover was so high, you yeah. know, like ancillary staff a, as a, a reflection of us as the providers uh, being difficult and not being team members. And so, you know, it was kind of on us that they had to spend all this recruitment money and didn't have retention. So when you guys were doing your market research around this, you were looking at not just physicians finding a better job, mm -hmm. but nurses, techs, every basically Absolutely. everybody Everyone. within the department. Yes. Yeah. Everyone, yeah. And because as you know, it's yeah. it's very much a team sport, right? And so yes. um, uh, many times, like it may be more important to find this one nurse that's willing to do something, you know, than maybe even a physician in the, in the facility. Right. And so um, we, we saw this as sort of a broad approach. And so 
not only did we talk to the hiring managers and in C levels, we talked with all the people we work with, right? In the interventional radiology suite, we're in there with respiratory techs, so like anesthesia, you know, CRNAs, um, and, and nurses and techs on top of that. And so we, we just, we're, we're very transparent and open. Like, tell us what, what issues you have with getting a job. Like maybe we're doing a case and, you know, or after the case or whatnot. And, and everyone was very frustrated is what we found. Yeah. Yeah, we, we recently did an episode on staffing the OBL with this uh, vasosurgeon out of Columbus, Krishna Manava, and his uh, office manager. And I asked them, I said, what is the hardest role to hire for? And surprisingly, they said the MA. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to find good MAs that stick around, you know? It that really they is. just had such significant turnover. And the other interesting thing, I was looking at Yul's website last night, and, um, you know, even transporters are on your list, yeah. right? Oh. Like hospital, tra- talk about throwing a wrench in the gears of a hospital service line, right? <laughs> yeah. If you don't have transporters, I mean, you're you're dead in the water, right? You're sitting around waiting for patients to come. The nurses are upset that they had to go and get them. So you're right. I mean, it every it just shows how every role is essential in the workflow of a, of an efficient hospital or OBL or you know even clinical practice. So I love that you guys are covering it from head to toe. It's not just all about docs. Yeah. yeah well, thank you. Yeah, I I mean, the team is so important to physician retention. And, uh, you yeah. know, if people are miserable, the whole team's miserable. Um, it You know, it, it's just a downward spiral, uh, especially in the outpatient setting um, where I worked. Yeah. We had three doctors in one little hub. And so if one doctor was upset and their staff was upset, kind of all the hub felt it, right? And then it yeah. just like negativity kind of breeds yes. negativity changes the culture of the whole place mm-hmm. yeah yeah a friend of mine they uh moved to san diego and um she's primary care doc and she said that the they just can't you know they have such a hard time with again with ma's that it's just disrupts the whole workflow of the whole place and and it gets to people that it, it spurs resentment right amongst the staff because if you can't have quality people that perform the basic functions of the clinic it's it all that negativity just spreads right and yeah. and like you said it, it upsets the physicians and the responsibility i mean at one point i was the ma and the physician right i roomed the patients yeah. i would go to the waiting right. room and get them myself i would yeah. bring them back give them a gown say you know just to, just so we weren't running three hours behind so that we were only running an hour and a half behind which was still unacceptable to the kind of practice i wanted which is why yeah. she was so unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. Huge difference. And so let's talk a little bit about, okay, so you did your market research. You realized, you know, there's a lot of reasons, you know, that are leading to job dissatisfaction and recruitment. Um, what did you, what, what was the solution that you proposed? Did you present this to you know, anybody to kind of get more feedback where did anybody shoot you down? Any challenges in terms of like going from the idea to starting implementation, starting the business? Sure. So uh, our market research pointed to, I think one thing that stood out, there's a lot of different issues you could bring up, but uh, the main thing was an unintentional lack of transparency. And there's literature that, that shows this and I, and I think it's very true. And so we wanted to bridge that, that uh, gap in transparency. And so I started formulating a system that would, would sort of apply to everyone and help fix this problem. And so what I did is on my side, like my background, a very blue collar background, I grew up in as a mechanic and worked in a car dealership. And so I learned business 
from working in a family car dealership, but by no means was I a, a prior like tech startup entrepreneur. And so I had to go back to you know, pretty much uh, step one. And so I reached out and I got on LinkedIn. I would find leaders in the startup field uh, in, in the region and I would, would take meetings with them. And I think that was one of the hard things to do for us. And going back, just kind of talking personally, is as physicians, we're very accomplished and kind of like moving up the, the hierarchy. And I had to completely reset myself and remove any ego, which might be there and just start, you know, listening to whatever I could to take advice on how to build this, get the lingo of the system, you know, and really go back and do research, how to draw up a business plan, things like that. And I did that. And there, there were many times where people would set up meetings and they would last minute cancel on me or ghost me or, you know, that, but there are also very many, many people that I met with that would help me and, and would steer me in the right direction. So, uh, we, we had direction from the startup community here in, in the Midwest and Cincinnati area. And so that was nice, but we really had to go back to, to square one. Yeah. Um, it is so true, man, with this whole startup mentality, like you really got to keep, put, set your ego aside because, and you are starting at zero because yeah, we're, we're, you know, the, uh, we're the top of the food chain in the hospital. We like to think we are right. Walking around. But, um, you know, <laughs> you, talk, you sit down with a business person and, uh, they don't care. They don't, you know, they'll, so, they'll be respectful and call you doctor, but that's about the extent of it. Cause they, they have so much more experience and that becomes clear if you don't have any experience pretty quick. Um, and, and so I had to learn a lot of that too, is just being a little bit more humble, I guess. And, and, and be respectful of one another's time too. If you're going to show up for a meeting, you have to have an agenda. You can't just fumble through a conversation because yeah. they're going to be like, why are you wasting my time? You know? Absolutely. Yeah, it's sure. like an some. elevator pitch too, right? You, you only have two yeah. minutes of attention with someone who's very busy to, that can lend you some insight. And yeah. so you get better. It's almost like, uh, and like a good analogy for, for what I think is the more I interviewed throughout medical school, residency, mm. fellowship, the better I got at interviews. And right. the more meetings I took, the better I got at talking back and forth and answering questions and I, they would trip me up and how would you build this or that? And, you know, I go back and I think, and I, you know, come back with an answer for the next individual or to that individual and follow them up. And so, yeah, it's, it was a definitely a learning process and it sounds like you can attest to some of that yourself with what you've done here. This is, this is a very special though. I, I like what you've done here, Aaron. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks guys. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, to that point, like you, you have, like if a conversation doesn't go well or a meeting doesn't go well, you have to sit and reflect and say, like, ask yourself, why did that not go well? Was that on me? Was that on them? What, where was the disconnect, you know? And sometimes it's just not a good fit, whatever it be, whether it be a collaborative thing, whether it be like, you know, just asking for a favor, but you have to, because that's how you, like you said, Rock, like that's how you're going to learn and move forward and get better at this. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, but as you guys know, it's, it's addictive, right? It's fun. It's addictive. It's what, this is why we stay up late when the kids are in bed sure. to work on this stuff. Cause it's so much fun. And yeah, well, it's Kate, such a great community. Casey was, uh, we were talking before here and, uh, Casey and I was talking about the difference between medicine and, and a startup, right? And in medicine, yeah. you have your lesson plan laid out, right? If you grind for eight years, you're get there. Or if you grind for whatever and, and a startup, it's not, it's the totally opposite end of the spectrum, right? And so what I found is one thing you have to watch is you have to really know your limitations um, because you could work all night. At any time, there's a thousand things that need to be done, right? 
And if you yes. don't watch yourself and know your limitations and slow down um, and sort of cap yourself and realize whenever you're working, but you're not really being productive, you, you really can can get yourself in a bind. Yeah. And, and Casey, you'll, you'll probably attest this too. I mean, Gopi will know when I'm not there. Like I'm thinking about back table, like you're, sure. you're there, but you're not there. Right. <laughs> yes. I and know the kids will say it. something now too. My, my 10 year old, he'll say something. He's like, what's going on with back table dad. And cause he just <laughs> yeah. knows that I'm just thinking about something. Else. I'm not really there. Yeah. For um, sure. And, and so we, in in like, like you guys probably do Gopi and I keep each other in check on that sort of thing. It's like, absolutely. Okay. If, if you're not here, then go take a walk, figure it out and then come back and be present. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, no, absolutely. It's Taking a, a walk's a good idea. It's, it's an interesting <laughs> dynamic, I would say that. And I and it sounds like you you two may be similar, but I know for us, we're very much the opposite in many things. And so that really helps balance us, like mm-hmm. especially running the business. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of that, so Casey, what, you know, I know starting a new business is expensive. How did you guys fund it at the beginning? Are you just bootstrapping? Did you go to friends and family? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Where are you guys at? With so that? Um, we bootstrapped the entire thing, actually. Um, we did have a few people early on that wanted to invest, but Rock and I felt really strongly um, that if we could do it ourselves, we really wanted to do it ourselves. Part part of what yeah. we do, you know, while it's a business, this is truly personal for me and for Rock. I mean, we lived this, we lived this, the, all these pain points, and I really want it to kind of make a difference for everyone in the healthcare field. And I want people to have accessibility to jobs. I want people to be able to just leave their job if they're not happy. And so we really wanted full control and we've bootstrapped. We've kind of made accommodations in our lifestyle to yeah. be able to do that. We're certainly not yeah. driving any, any Porsches or yeah. anything like that. We're rocking the Honda Odyssey all the way. And, hey, and man, that's, great that's what we want to do. <laughs> it's a great yeah. car, but Rock was like, well, we'll tint the windows and it'll be really cool. And I'm like, <laughs> Tinting the windows, yeah. So <laughs> it's a great car. No, we had a we had an Odyssey until um, we just couldn't drive it anymore. Literally, like drove it into the ground. But it was perfect for two little ones. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. Part um, of the the bootstrapping mindset was that we want to be like the only only product or platform that's created by medical professionals and backed by medical professionals. So all of the decisions that we make are driven by us and the and sort of the team and the decisions to make things better for either client. Yeah. So t- tell us a bit about, I know there's like an algorithm and it sounds like maybe it's, there's a AI aspect to it. Tell us a little bit about how the platform works now. Sure. Um, to, yeah, just to let our audience know if anybody's out there looking for a job. Sure. So there are three aspects that we, we've started off and we really examined in the recruitment build. And those are quality, cost, and speed. And so our product improves on all three of those. And for for speed, we do certain things such as we have integrated chat messaging, messaging alerts. We allow people to quick apply, store their documents onto our system. It's all secure. Um, For cost, our system bucks the traditional um, high cost model. You know, it's not a percent of your salary. It's not 20 or 30 grand. Uh, A hospital can recruit you for 500 bucks. For the uh, candidate, everything's free. And so for us, there's no reason to charge us when we're, we're really, you know, sincere about fixing the process. And so it, it's all free for candidates to use. As far as quality goes, this is where we really wanted to stand out. And so really where we, we started crunching the numbers and looking. And so we have three items that really help us identify quality matches. And so this is 
helping the candidate find the job and the employer find the best job, the best candidate for that job. And so what we do is we do something called a stat score. And so the stat score looks at certain criteria, um, such as um, the location, you know, is we give our, our um, users five options to put in a location and we're help search. And if it falls within those five locations, they're going to rank higher on that score. Um, do they want call? Do they want weekends? A lot of certain specifics that's, that may be overlooked in, in an other sort of means. And so our stat score really helps us identify is the fit there, is the culture there um, that we're looking for, for both sides. Uh, we also do something called a comprehensive skills analysis, which we're actually building out in our pipeline now. And so this is, is really cool. So the first one that I built, I'll give an example here is for like radiology. So we look at a clinician and we take and we break down the skills from uh, clinical skills and we look at procedural skills because medicine is very procedure driven, right? And so what we can do is we can have a, a custom template made for the employer and for the candidate. And so the employer might say, hey, I need somebody that will read a cardiac MRI that will do a Y90 that will, yeah. you know, also interpret this, do this procedure that's MQSA certified. And once they finalize that template, it's sent out to all the candidates they're matched to. And so the, as the candidate, when you see this, you're going to see a very transparent idea of what to expect when you go into the job. And so right. you will kind of re respond with, hey, I do this. Hey, I'm open to learning how to do this or I, I don't want to do this. It's just something that's not, I'm either not trained for or qualified or not. And so right. when that sends it back, that, that helps um, quantify sort of how the skill set matches. And so this is something we're doing that I think really sets us apart from any, any other option out there. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to have a team of other colleagues to work with um, to make these in certain fields as well, too. And so the stat score is the first we do. We do a comprehensive skills analysis. And then the third thing that we have been working on is a personality matching. And so the personality matching yeah. is not yet on our platform, but we do know that medicine is very much a team sport. And for example, Casey's fellowship uh, picked near solely on. You yeah, know, not near solely, but yeah, you know, personality played into it, right? Because they took three fellows and or even for the general dermatology residency, kind of matching up. You don't want four alpha dogs necessarily. Right. Same holds right. true for like nurses, your medical assistants. My ancillary staff always tend to have problems with each other more than anyone else. Right. And that's probably one of the yeah. reasons that we're seeing such high turnover. And we don't spend any yeah. time really matching them up personality wise yet. It's a second family. Yeah. And some of the other items we do to kind of stand out and to make the process better for candidates is um, we, we actually incorporate all the contract stipulations into our search results and those can be filtered out. And so like if we know if you're uh, productivity based, if you're going to be a, a private practice and just, you know, a, an owner at some point on a partnership track, you know, your buy-in from like day one. And so yeah. essentially what we can do is say you're, you're an MSK trained radiologist and you want to, you know, read only MSK or you want to have a spot specifically for a musculoskeletal radiologist. You want to be in the East Coast. You want to land top 10% pay and you want to have paternity leave in your package. You can use all the smart filters on our website to find that. And if that job exists, we'll match you to that. Or if there's something that's close, then we'll start to kind of to, to rank those. And so we, uh, we want it to be very specific in that regards. Yeah. I mean, isn't it amazing that something like this doesn't already exist yes. given that like, it's like match.com, <laughs> right? I yes. mean, it's like, we have this for relationships. There's a zillion relationships 
you know, uh, platforms out there that are similar where you can, you have an algorithm, you can choose your, you can customize it. And yet we're still in the dark ages of like looking at lists of job postings, which exactly. show there's like zero, tra you know, there's like zero, um, you know, transparency, right. Uh, on those. I mean, rock, you've probably seen like the, the, the posts that I remember there'd be posts about like doing IR. And then you call up and it's like, well, we really just need somebody to do all the fluoro and the, the paras and thoras. And yeah. it's like, well, that's not really IR. Like your diagnostic guys can do that. You know, well, they don't really want to do that. Or they use, you know, they use teleradiology. So they need somebody in the hospital. That's not really an interventional radiology position, you know? And so being able to weed that out and add that transparency, I think is going to be it's going to be huge for med, for yeah. for our specialty. I know for I'm all. Sure I think, yeah. yeah. I mean, even in dermatology, you know, when I went to look for most surgery positions, many of them are oh, most surgery one day a week. Once you call, right? It's a most surgery yeah. position, and then you call and you find out the other four days a week you're going to do general dermatology. Um, yeah. You know, and, unless you can start to build it, but to find a full time most position, it's just very difficult. Um, yeah. The other thing that I did want to mention. Is just, you know, there was this really good study that came out in the world of academics about women and how they are way less um, likely to kind of move careers than men. And that a huge portion of that was due to the lack of job offers to females from like, quote unquote, good old boys club. Right. Because mm. today you might find a really good job offer from your mentor or from someone that you know. And I do think that there is still a mentality, unfortunately, of the good old boys club. And if you're not part of it, you might be missing out on something that's a really good job opportunity. And so I would like to level the playing field with this as well. Um, you know, hope if that does exist in medicine. Yeah. So no, that's, yeah. So go ahead, Rock. Sorry, I was going to say some of the, the other options that we had built into the product is um, sort of like a dating app. Um, and so we find that a huge volume of the job seekers are passive job seekers, and they may be some of the better candidates to begin with, especially with right. the, the great resignation and everything that's been kind of moving around with COVID and distribution issues. What we wanted to do is create a, a sort of a privacy setting that allows you to go in and you can run in private mode on the candidate side and you can search and view jobs and you don't have to necessarily give up all your information. So your current employer doesn't really know it's you, you know, on the platform. So ideally ah, you're yeah. still be able to find the best job. And if you're at the best job, that's where you would stay. But if there is something, you know, that you're interested in, you can look and, and kind of play around and not have to worry about blowback from current employers. Right. Yeah. You can remain anonymous to a certain degree. Yeah, exactly. And so I've had three jobs in f since I was, since I finished and four, including my fellowship. Um, and people always ask me, about leaving and how I know to leave and when to leave. Um, yeah. And I think leaving is really scary, right? We don't like change as physicians. Like the whole path was mapped out for us. We always knew what was next. After college, we would do med school. And after med school, we would do residency and end or fellowship and then take this job. And then suddenly you find yourself not really being where you thought you'd be at in life. And it is yeah. very hard to leave. But one of the challenges of leaving is the accessibility of where to go. And that in and of itself is like Rock said, almost a second job sometimes. And yeah. so I wanted this to be easier for people that maybe aren't happy that they could get on their, you know, one day an app, hopefully on their phone and kind of search through what's in the area and if anything pops up. Because I think like really this generation, you know, we're treating time with more respect and we know like we're running out of time, we should be happy. 
And uh, you see this in other fields and I want it to be present in healthcare as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people even say that the good jobs are all just word of mouth about who you know, right? Which is also frustrating because if you're, what if you're out, you know, in a rural area or you're just not like a big networking person and you're, you know, you're kind of a shy, but you're really good. I mean, there's so many things that um, can, can be limitation. And so that always frustrated me when I would hear, oh, well, the good jobs, they don't get on the job postings because they all get mm-hmm. taken up by word of mouth. Well, that's not. That's the good I mean, old boys yeah, club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is. You're right. If you're, you're not right. in it, you're missing out. It's it's again, yeah, exactly. real estate, right? Real estate, the, the yeah. good home never comes to yeah, the market. It doesn't right? even it's, hit the market. Yeah, before it's in place on the market. Right. And and to what you were saying, Casey, um, a colleague of mine, actually one of our co-hosts on the VI show, she was saying that she's had people reach out to her because in, in interventional radiology, I think it's only 9% female. So there's very limited number of females in the specialty. And there's actually a, a fair number of groups out there actively trying to recruit females because they want to add that to their, sure. you know, uh, to their practice. And they're having a hard time finding, you know, good candidates. And um, because it, it, there's, it's, it's limited. So I imagine that that, you guys can have, you know, an, basically it's very algorithmic and like you could, that can help recruiters find, you know, the type of person that they want, whether it be male, female, you know, race, gender, whatever, yeah. you know, is that. Yeah, it goes both ways, yeah. right? Like you can find who yeah. you want as the employee, but if the employer has a specific need, whether that's a skill set or whatever, you know, then they, they can do that. One one item that we've we actually started to incorporate from feedback from our early users was that uh, they wanted more side gigs, which goes along with the more modern type approach of the, yeah. the newer graduate. And so like for myself, um, I've done a couple side gigs along the way. I worked as a consultant for Epic um, and I also did some expert witness work. And the expert witness work was, was a great experience, just like for my own practice to see how some of that right. works and, you know, what really goes on behind the scenes. And so I think um, when we, as we incorporate those, we will see um, a huge demand for certain things like that um, as well. And oh even yeah, a side gig. More, yeah, sorry, Casey, go ahead. Oh yeah, no, I was just going to say, even for residents, I would love to have a place where they could locum um, and kind of yeah. just, or moonlight, you know, or, or anybody locum or a job share. I, I wish, yeah. you know, for nannies, there are, there's always a nanny share. I wish in our industry that we could do more physician job shares, um, you know, for both genders, like your example. Yeah. And, and I'm currently, I just created one myself and we used stat careers to do it. So I took a position that was a full-time five day a week position and I don't want five days a week. And so, um, I kind of split it with, uh, another Mohs surgeon who's going to be relocating to Ohio for this job. And I would oh, love cool. to see, and that's hard, right? That's really hard to find someone yeah. who's going to do that. Yeah. But what if there was a way that you could find each right. other? Um, and right. both apply to this job and then, you know, do something else with your life with besides your just medicine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But still use your skills. Yeah. Right. Because we I think we all exactly. love medicine and we all love practice. But then at some point, it's it just takes over everything in your life and you don't have time yeah. to be, be like to be the parent you want to be or to have a side right. job or, you know, travel or whatever it is that you want to do. Yeah, it, it's just too much. Um, and and this, the whole side gig marketplace, I think would be amazing um, because uh, like, the, you know, I do the VA National Teleradiology Program, which is great because you can make your own hours. I mean, it, it's a really great program. It actually pays really well. 
considering it's the VA. And you can do it at, at like several, there's like numerous cities throughout the United States where you can do it. And I didn't even know about it until, it, it, again, it was a word of mouth thing. Yeah. It's not like they publicly, but they always need people. So it's like, it's this weird thing where they don't advertise it, but they always need people. And and if if you, people could have access to stuff like that on stat careers, I think that would be an amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Plan, you know? for, I yeah. mean, for both parties again, right? Solving a problem for yeah. both parties. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I think um, so to, on that same note, like how have you guys been marketing stat careers? Like what's the marketing plan? Do you have a sales and marketing team or is it still just you guys putting all this together? Yeah. Yeah. So we've been um, approaching this as a combination of organic and paid. Um, and so for paid, we, we have a team. And so our team has been as large as, as eight people in the past and as small as four. And so we, we do have someone that helps us with marketing. And so um, a big milestone for us is we are in the process of bringing in a, a true uh, chief marketing officer. Um, and so that, that was huge. Um, but we are doing a lot of that, that work ourselves, but um, we do hire someone to help us as well. And so as far as paid, um, a lot of different social, we, we find paid social has been um, some good traction. Um, the The problem with that is, is probably some of the the higher end ones are more expensive, um, mm. as you may know. For organic, we have started our blog. Um, we are planning a few giveaways for our social followers uh, to help increase our, our candidates. We do have a couple conferences that we're targeting maybe for the future. Uh, and then also we have in the pipes a, a small YouTube streaming channel that talks about uh, how best to position yourself as a new graduate to kind of help help you know, new graduates coming to the system, like what should your first so many steps be, how to negotiate a contract and things like that. So uh, that will all be coming soon. How are you planning on getting in front of uh, employers? Yeah. So, so we've, we've played with multiple different options there. Um, to be honest, cold calling works pretty well, but it's, it's not very, um, it's not very efficient. Yeah. It's not that scalable. Way. It, it right? converts, but right. it's not scalable and it's not efficient. And so that's where we're going to ha- allow our CMO to kind of take the lead off that. And I assume in the future here, the plan would be that we bring someone in with a sales background. Now, ideally would like somebody like a medical device rep that has some sales, has some crossover into medicine right. that could really run that with the employers. And so that would be the next position that we would expect to bring into the process. It's all about the warm intro, right? The warm intro is the yes. way to go. Yeah, we, we, we've been talking about that stuff internally because we, we hired our first full-time sales guy um, in December to sell advertising for the podcast. And it was, yeah, it's kind of like, do you find somebody from industry who know, is familiar with the device, in, you know, these device companies, or do you find somebody who just knows how to sell really good and their their skill set is translate, you know, translates well, no matter where they go. And we've, I, you know, we found a great person and he just happened to have some a background in, um, in device and it, it kind of worked out, but, uh, it's, yeah. yeah, it's hard. We used a, we used a, a talent agency to find that person and they did the whole personality test and everything. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that was kind of my next question is like, you guys just going to focus on healthcare or if this algorithm, you know, if, if the, the model works, are there other applications, whether it be law accounting, you know, sales, anything that you guys have thought out in a, on a larger scale? Yeah, I think the short-term goal especially is just to focus on medicine because medicine yeah. is so complex. Um, yeah. there, there's so much you can do, as you know. And I mean, we have over 500 plus careers that we're hosting on our website now. 
Um, and we're working through a lot of the algorithms starting from the top down to kind of see how we can best improve the matching process. And so I think right now that we have a lot on our plate with uh, just doing a sort of a medical arena, but you know, who knows, there could be applications in the future. Um, but right now we're, we're focused on medicine. I think the next step would be if, if, you know, things take off and we get more traction and we're blowing up and what's the next step is we take, move this from the United States to nationally. Um, would be, and, and there's a lot of ifs, you know, for that to happen. But uh, right now we're just focusing on, on the U.S. market. Yeah. And, and I think really healthcare, it's near and dear to us. Right. And that was like the start of this. And I want to see that this kind of, I don't, you know, revolutionizes healthcare and how you find jobs and how you match and, and retention and satisfaction and, yeah. um, you know, your lifestyle that you can have. Yeah, it's certainly interesting to see the the responses when we we talk to employers um, and how excited they are when they have it. So um, that's been very promising. As part of your market research, and even this, I guess, could be part of your your marketing to employers. Have you guys uh, looked at the cost of attrition rates? Like, you know, for example, even just like whether it be one doctor, one nurse, one MA, what that costs when there's turnover, you know. Uh, over a certain period of time, you guys have data like that that can help with trying to, you know, back up you know, or try to, I guess, sell your product, sell product to these employers. Yeah, 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 we do, and uh, it's it's variable, right? Because it's different situations, dif- different uh, certain doc leaves, you may lose certain revenue from your system. Um, right. But there's a good article that was actually written by a physician, C um, level. It's a few years back, and they actually penned down the exact cost of having a, an established physician leave your hospital. And it accounts for your, your opportunity costs with that physician out. Uh, it, it accounts for all the revenue from the referrals that they're having referring their patients into the systems for surgeries, um, different imaging and things like that. And it's hundreds on hundreds of thousands that yeah. you can lose if you have someone that's very established in your community that leaves. And so for, for nursing, one of the um, kind of the, the cheap rules would be it costs 1.5 times the salary to replace the the person that that left, and so wow. it, it's quite a bit. Um, you know, when you when you break it down and you look at the data. Yeah, and interesting too. Just um, from my own personal experience, you know, every time someone is onboarded, your clinic slows down to accommodate that training, and so mm. you know your production drops drastically. And if it doesn't, then people walk away because it's just too hard to pick up that. Fa- you know that fast of a pace practice. Right. Um, and right. so when you start talking about specialties that are seeing, you know, 40 to 50 plus patients a day and these yeah. girls have to come in, it, it's not fair to them to train them in that scenario. So right. uh, you have to slow down or they're going to leave. The, the cost is massive. And especially when you think about recruitment as well, right? Because they spend so much money on recruitment advertisements, you know, if they're using a recruiter or not, you know, once they bring someone in, they, they may pay for their hotels, like have them in person, pay for dinner and whatnot. And that person may not be a match. And so what we yeah. can do is we can help them proceed with confidence into the next step of, you know, the interview um, with with some of our our data. Yeah. And I, I imagine you, you guys will be collecting that data on the back end once you make a match. Okay. How, you know, were they, what's the retention at one year, three or five mm-hmm. years? Exactly. And then show that to your, you know, your employers and obviously put it all over your social media and stuff so that people know, hey, we're, we've been really good at making the right match. I think that that's going to be super powerful. Yeah, that's a great idea. You know, yeah. that, that's the goal. That's when we make a match on the system, we store that data and then we come back yeah. to that. Also in, in that whole algorithm, we can actually engage 
that the candidate down the road and say, hey, three months, six months, there's a lot of, of data that shows if you engage candidates, your retention rates go up. And so those are other items that are in the pipeline that we could help our, our employers as well, too. Yeah, Rock yeah. and I always talk about this. And, you know, if someone's not happy, what went wrong and why did it go wrong? And, you know, right. was it an issue with the contract and transparency or the job description? And if so, can we tell that to the employer? Can we help facilitate this? Because I think a lot of times, whether it's word of mouth or, you know, a paid traditional recruiter, it's like kind of on your own once you get this job, if it doesn't work out. And I, I think people on both ends want feedback. I mean, I genuinely yeah. believe that, you know, people yeah. want it to work. Yeah, I think it just a lot of times it there's it's a very busy specialty, right? And very there's a lot of, of items moving. We don't yeah. really take the time to analyze what may have went wrong or right. right. And so that's what right. we're trying to do with the, the back-end data. Yeah. Is it the culture? Is it the person? Is it, Yeah, there's so many factors that are completely out of y'all's control. Even if you make a good match, it's, it's still out of y'all's control. So you want to, you know, but you definitely want to use that data to help improve your services. So one last question before we wrap up here on the hour. You know, clearly, you know, you guys are a startup. You, you have probably your own employees. I don't know if you guys already told me how many employees you have, but have you guys had any issues yourselves with recruiting and hiring and retention within stat careers? Yeah. So I, <laughs> I think that well, we just went through an interview process for CMO and we interviewed 20 candidates and it was really eye-opening, especially to see what we can do nowadays with all this work from home kind of technology. We interviewed yeah. people all over the world because um, this is a remote position um, for us. And it was so interesting to see all the different perspectives. We interviewed an individual in Argentina versus Turkey versus, you know, a handful in the U.S. And it, it was really, really like it, it helped us like in our product, like things to think about as we went through the interview process as well. Um, and so I think that, that the team we have in place is a, a, whenever you work with a small team, you have to be very, very. Uh, specific on who you hire it has to be someone that really fits your culture, especially on the early stage. Um, because yeah. if you have like one bad egg or someone that's not really bought into the culture, it can easily bring you down with when you're a four person operation at a certain point. And at, at most we, we're at operating at an eight person operation with some PRN work and things like that, but there's full four full-time employees, but we, we've learned a lot. I, I can't say that we've had any real issues. The people that we have are great. And so we've like had our CTO has been with us for two years. Uh, the individual is amazing. Um, I've never seen anyone more talented with a computer and the CMO I think is going to work out the same way. Uh, I think we have to be very specific when we hire. The good thing is we've ran, been run through the ringer with interviews, with, you know, residency, you know, medical school, um, you know, even bringing people into our own group. And so it does help. And, and even though it's a different industry, it allows us to kind of translate some of the stuff we've learned ourselves into that. And there's that saying, um, hire slow, fire fast, yeah. right? So like we're really yeah. about doing our due diligence to bring someone into the team. And if it wasn't working out, whether that be like work ethic or skill set, uh, we we would be quick to let them go. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that push is our our product has been around transparency and we're both very transparent people or very open people. And so I make sure every single task that is expected or, you know, that they have questions about is answered. And I, and I over communicate on that. And with something we do in medicine, right? We over communicate and close the loop. Um, yeah. When I hire or bring someone else in, 
I, I want to intentionally do that. And I want to be very transparent. And I think doing that helps everything and is worked out very well for us. Yeah. Um, that higher slow part's hard, right? Cause like it's only so many hours in the day and you're, you've got stuff to do. You gotta get, you gotta get shit done and you want to get that, that role filled, but it's, you got, I mean, you're right to find the right person. You got to take your time. When you, when you say CMO, you're talking about chief marketing officer or chief yes. medical officer? Yeah, chief yeah. Marketing. marketing. Yeah. yeah. We have plenty <laughs> of say, You got your own CMOs. Yeah. yeah. Good, good question. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Interviews were, were painful. That, that was a big process. It reminded me a lot of um, interviewing for residents or fellows. And, you know, yeah. some people come in and they're just amazing. And then you have to decide at the end, uh, yeah, who are you going to pick? And, and it's exhausting. I forgot how exhausting it was to go through it that is. many interviews. It is. You did mention that there was an article about, uh, when we write the show notes, we tend to try and include articles that, that are mentioned during the show. Oh, okay. I, I, I mentioned one and we can uh, send it to you about uh, academic females not getting the positions because... Yes. So we have that. Yeah. And then I think you had mentioned an article. Yeah. There are two older articles that I can send you that uh, outlay the the cost of retention yeah. in yes. medicine. Yes. That's what it was. The cost, yeah, the costing of attrition rate. Yeah, that would be, that'd be a good one too. So we'll include those and then, yeah, let, let our audience know, um, you know, where they should go, how they, how they should engage with the, with the platform. Sure. Uh, you can visit our, our site at www.statstatcareers, all one word.com and uh, sign up. You can get started right away. And get emailed when a match occurs. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be emailed when your first match is there. Perfect. And you said there, uh, you guys are working on an app in the near future as well. Yeah, right now it's a it's a mobile okay. um, or it's a, a web app. That's and right. in, in the future, we're going to plan to build this into a mobile app um, to be more user friendly for our candidates. Well, guys, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing um, this awesome platform, which I think has huge potential. And I'm I'm excited to um, I might even be Gopi and I might even be using it ourselves here in the near future. <laughs> I don't know if I told you, but we're um, Gopi's just resigned from UT Southwestern. She's taking a sabbatical and um, we're taking, uh, we're going to move to fr France. We're actually moving to France next oh month. Oh, cool. Congrats. Yeah. 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 And so I'm going to run back table from there and I, I have some locums work. So I, I'll be flying back and forth a little bit to, to do the locums weeks. But, uh, but yeah, the kids are, we enrolled them in uh, a French school and wow. uh, in Paris. And okay. so, yeah, that, that'll journey. be us for a year. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be cool, and and so um, I think that we'll pro I'll probably have Gopi just make a profile on Stat Careers so that when she's looking, I know she kind of knows where she wants to go, but she's not quite sure. But I think you know we'll we'll be some beta testers uh, for y'all. And, and yeah, that would be great. We're happy to back. have you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> well, Aaron, thank yeah. you for having us on. Thank we really so it was fun. Um, we're a huge fan of the podcast, so it was fun to actually be on. Well, thanks again, guys. Thank, thank you so you. much, Aaron. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team lead is Karen Gannon with support from Caleb Hodson, Josh McWhorter, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz. Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson. And Delaney Aguilar. 
Social media and PR by Anne Dang. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.